0: Hello and welcome to the Power in the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterton, and joining me as he does every week on the line, it's Ben Cadd. How are you, Ben?
1: Yeah, you're going well, thanks, Neil, and thanks again for having us back.
0: No worries, mate. Happy to have you on the line, as always. Before we get into the show, I'd first like to thank everybody who downloaded and, uh, more importantly, listened to the podcast. We're really happy with with some of the numbers we got, and a special thanks to everybody who, who shared it, whether through Facebook or Twitter or just by word of mouth we really appreciate um, you guys doing that for us we'd obviously like to grow the audience as much as possible and we're certainly going to need your help to do that so in saying that we'll get all you guys maybe this week to get onto apple podcast uh, click the subscribe button and it'll appear in your your feed whenever we put a, uh, a show up there um, if you also click on five stars and give a bit of a rating that'll also help spread spread the word so we'd really appreciate it if you could do that for us as well so with the show this week, the, the NBA have announced uh, the All-Star voting's open. I'll just run through the process. So the the voting opened on the 28th of Jan. It closes on the 16th of February. Um, the starters are announced on the 18th of February. So it used to be uh, 100% of the voting went what the fans voted for. The breakdown now is 50% fans, 25% media, and 25% from the players. And on the 23rd of Feb, the reserves are announced. Uh, that's supposed to be voted for by the coaches, but uh, I think that probably gets handed down to one of the assistants, Ben. I don't think uh, Greg Popovich is up burning the midnight candle uh, going through the uh, the plus minuses to uh, pick his benches, I wouldn't have thought. so. It's always an interesting time with with the, the All-Star because there's plenty of debate about who should and shouldn't be in it. So we thought on, on the show today we, we'd pick our starters and reserves for both the West and the East. And we'll kick it off with the West uh, starters, Ben. Who, who have you got for your West starters?
1: Yeah, look, thanks again for the intro, and yeah, this I found it quite difficult even to put these teams together. It's quite unique this year, uh, selecting these teams with probably such a small sample size than what we're traditionally used to, but we're probably giving some of the players here a bit of a benefit of the doubt based on previous seasons or reputations, but I think many of these guys probably still pick themselves, but I'll run through my West starters, and I've gone with... Up in the front court, LeBron, James, Anthony Davis, and Nikola Jokic, and then in the back court, Steph Curry and Luka Doncic.
0: Yes, yeah, so as you mentioned, it has been a bit difficult this year, given that there hasn't been as many games as usual. The way I'm not sure how you approach it. The way I approached it was, I'm, I'm not going to pick the teams how I think they'll probably end up. So we still got obviously a couple of weeks until the, they're announced. I'm picking it based on what has happened so far this year. So I'm probably expecting the teams that I've picked uh, to maybe not be the teams I will pick in a couple of weeks' times when when the, uh, ultimately the teams are announced. But So that's the way I approach it. How did you approach it, actually, Ben?
1: Yeah, look, I was probably trying to project out a little bit further. So, yeah. And that's where i would probably looking at Anthony Davis in particular, where he probably hasn't come out of the gates um, absolutely flat out with his numbers slightly down on previous years. But I think he'll build into that. And certainly over the next couple of weeks, you'd expect – um, his numbers to continue to rise and, and being a, a starter in last year's last year's All-Star game, winning the championship, I think there's enough stock there for him uh, to sort of maintain his place in the starting five, albeit on reduced um, scoring numbers particularly as opposed to last year. But I was basically projecting out to what might I sort of see transpiring in the next couple of weeks and also understanding that 50% fan vote and I try to take that into con- uh, consideration with some of the selections where historically uh, some individual players are really well supported uh, by the fans in particular, and that um, obviously raises their chances of, of making the starting five. So that's probably how I've, I've gone with it, yeah, and not probably too dissimilar to to yourself.
0: Yep, no, that, that that's all fair enough. So, so my West starters were very similar to yours. We had four of the same. The only difference being I went for Kawhi Leonard um, over the top of Anthony Davis, and I think you touched on it there that Davis probably hasn't had quite the, the start to the season that we thought he would. We we knew that there was a chance that the Lakers sort of might might ease their ways in ease their way into the season. Um, and that's probably been the case with Davis more so than LeBron, surprisingly, but Davis is at uh at twenty-one points, eight point eight rebounds, and three and a half assists and one point nine blocks. So it's that's his second lowest point since his since his second season and his blocks are the lowest since his rookie season. And I think he even had a, he even came out in the media recently and said that uh, he wasn't playing quite up to his standard. Look, he, he's still playing very good basketball. He's still a, still a force on the defensive end and he's no doubt an all-star. But for me, it just, I, I just had Kawhi Leonard just in front of him, just, just based on the fact that Kawhi probably had the first week or so was a little bit star, but since then he's been really motoring I mean, he's shooting 50, 40, 90, which is the Holy Grail of shooting 28 per, which is a career high. So that, that, that got his nose in front of me for Anthony Davis. Who, who have you got as your reserves?
1: Uh, so for my reserves in the Western Conference, I start off with the Utah double of Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. I really felt that the Utah Jazz really needed to be rewarded for their hot start to the season. i got Damian Lillard coming off the bench, and he was probably the other contentious one for me. From a starting five point of view, and and certainly after what he did to the Chicago Bulls today, your your um, Chicago Bulls, yeah. <laughs> it does seem ludicrous to, to have to leave him out. But um, he's been a bit of a perennial bridesmaid in All Star voting in the past, and he, for me, he just misses out on an All Star starting nod again. Just just um, just
0: on that, sorry to cut you off, Ben. Um, so th- so that was that was a difficult one also for me and between between Curry, Doncic, and and Dame. What what was it in the end? Who, who was you at that last spot between for you, and what was it in the end that sort of tipped whoever that was in favor of Dame?
1: I oh, look, I thought initially earlier in the season, Luca's numbers probably um, just cemented him into that into that starting lineup again. He's I I, I look at the the previous years' voting where. His voting numbers were just extraordinary last year, and it really cemented himself into that starting lineup. And Probably helps when can, you got a whole
0: country voting for you,
1: doesn't it, Ben? Well, it certainly does, and, and there's nothing to suggest that's going to change this year. I mean, the Dallas Mavericks are, are really struggling at the moment. I think they've lost five on the trot. Yeah, look, and that could come into play in a couple of weeks when these things are actually decided. But for now, I, I have him in. I thought the Portland Trail Blazers, you know, started off a little bit um, slowly this year and and still trying to get there. They act together. But, um, look, Lillard, again, today shows what he's capable of doing. And, and I don't think it's a slight on, on Dame to to leave him out. For a guy like Doncic and then certainly Steph Curry is the other one that, that's in there for me at the moment. And I don't think we need to run through all of his um his stats over the years. Yeah, he, he's really carrying that Golden State Warriors side, you know, and probably surprising us to the fact that they're, they're sitting inside the, the top eight in the West at the moment.
0: Yeah, yeah, certainly certainly they are and and, and for me that, that that was a really difficult decision between those three. I, I had Steph as as my lock, I suppose you'd call him. He's more so I just really love watching Steph Curry plays. He's my favorite player to watch the way he moves around the court and he just he just creates so much gravity and space for his teammates. He's back back to probably not obviously not quite those MVP levels, but you you can't expect him to get back to that 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 was historic numbers he was putting up there. But he, but he's certainly back to a very very high standard. Luca, his first week or so was just a little bit off. He, he did enter the season just a couple of a couple of kegs overweight, but he certainly rounded himself into terrific form and his numbers are right in line with what he produced uh, last year. And 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 I just cut D- Dame's the unlucky one because as you mentioned he he's been outstanding. He finish finished today was was incredible. For those who didn't see the game, Portland were down by five points with 14 or 15 seconds to go. Uh, Dame hits a three. Chicago inbound the ball to, to Zach Levine, who's expecting a foul. Um, they force a jump ball instead. Uh, Gary Trent Jr. forces a jump ball. He wins a tip out to Dame at three-point line, who sinks a three on the buzzer. So, And it's not even a surprise when Dame does stuff like that, because we've seen that right throughout his career. He's so clutch. He's hit big shot after big shot when it matters. And... Yeah, look, he, at the moment he could be the unlucky one. Not that it really matters. When, when everybody sort of lines up your Hall of Fame credentials, they just mention how many All-Star games you made, not how many times you started. But but he, there's going to be one of those three. I'm not sure who it's going to be, but who, whoever misses out of those 3 they're going to be extremely unlucky not to be a starter.
1: Yeah, and, look at, and that's true. And they've also kind of lucked into a, a little bit with James Harden moving from the East to the West and Westbrook and a few of these guys that have actually shifted conferences. So it does give Lillard a chance um, you know, to potentially get that starting gong, but I have left him out for now. So in addition to Gobert, Mitchell and Lillard, my other reserves are Paul George and Kawhi Leonard from the Clippers, and then I've rounded out with Zion Williamson and Devin Booker as my last two reserves.
0: Okay, so, so yeah, we, we've got very similar there. I've obviously got Dame as well. Paul George has had a fantastic season. Uh, season. Anthony Davis, as we've already spoken about, has been really good. Utah Jazz are on a, on a 12 game winning streak so that they deserve a couple of all-stars and Donovan Mitchell's been fantastic and Rudy gobert has been defensively as good as he always is and, and always provides that verticality um, offensively for him uh the last two spots for me is uh, are where we differ I've gone for Shay Gilgis Alexander um, from the Oklahoma City Thunder and CJ McCollum so uh for you Ben with uh Devin Booker what, what was the select what was the thought behind the selection there?
1: Um, again, it's probably slightly sort of looking back to last year and what he performed in the bubble, just absolutely outstanding. And I know that doesn't count for everything, but the Phoenix Suns have uh, jumped out of the blocks really well this year. They're 10-8, and eight, sitting in the sixth seed, and that's a really sharp rise for, for a club that's been out of the playoff picture for a number of years, understanding that they've had some increased help with Chris Paul coming into the club and Jay Crowder and the improvement of of Ayton, but uh for me Booker has been the linchpin of that side uh for a number of years now. His scoring numbers are slightly diminished, but we did expect that probably to happen with the increased help around him. And for him, I think that's a real positive um, the fact that his scoring numbers have reduced from twenty six a game down to just under twenty three points a game so far this season because I'm sure he'd take that and and you know take that position inside the uh the Western Conference top eight. And it's a really interesting comparison and I'm sure we'll get to it in the East when we talk about Zach Levine and he's a guy that's putting up high scoring numbers, but it's still just not translating to winning. And I think that's been the knock on Devin Booker over a number of years is great stats, but is he just in a, uh, you know, in a poor team, poor environment, not affecting winning. Whereas this year he has had a, a slight drop in the scoring numbers, but it, it is translating into winning. He's being more of a, a, a more rounded player with, um you know, with Chris Paul next to him. So, it was a bit of a, a double up there—the the, the Phoenix standing in the the conference and also a bit of a pat on the back for his exceptional play in the bubble last year.
0: Yeah, I find Booker a really interesting one. I, I didn't really consider, even consider him if I'm being honest, j- just based on the fact you mentioned there that he, that his his scoring rate has dropped from from 26 and a half to, down to just under 23, which which is a significant enough drop, I think, for him not to be an all star. But it's it's an interesting case there that you just mounted because. It has been in the past. You made the comparison to, to Zach Levine, and we'll talk, a bit, talk about him a bit later, um, in that he puts up numbers. It doesn't translate to winning. Now, we've seen Phoenix have been a much better team this year. Can, can we accredit that to Devin Booker, or is it the Chris Paul effect? We've seen Chris Paul right throughout his career. We saw it last year with OKC when he went there. Nobody really expected them to do too much, and they ended up being being uh, maybe a fifth or sixth seed in the end. So... He's such a winning player, Chris Paul. Is he contributing to the to this Phoenix Sun um, start, or, or is it Devin Booker? Because you look, I mean, numbers never always tell the full story, but his numbers are pretty much right down across the board from his shooting percentages, uh, right through to his assist numbers and and even rebounding numbers. So, you, you mentioned how good he was in the bubble. I think he might have even been named the bubble MVP. I, I think um, he was outstanding in that in that eight and record they had in the bubble, and I just I, I don't think he's quite reached those levels. This year just yet, projecting out he may get there. He's out injured at the moment. I'm not sure when he's due back, but he's obviously a quality player and and there's no doubt that he can put up all-star numbers I, and be an all-star player. I just don't think he's quite got there this year as yet. I, I went for Gildas Alexander instead. Now that, that that might be that might raise a few eyebrows. He's he's only in his third year, but I think he's taken a massive step this year. Now that Chris Paul has left, he's he's the number one man and he's putting up 22 points a game which is a career high with five and a half rebounds and 6.4 assists which is also a career high shooting 50 37 and 76 from the field so he's a really interesting player Gildas Alexander you watch him and he never seems to be moving um, at high speed he just sort of goes his own speed he's he just sort of glides through the air and takes small gaps and he he does the euro steps and he's got these tricky little floaters He's, he's a really interesting player to watch. He's six foot six, but I'm going to sound like Jay Billis here. He's got a 7-foot wingspan, Ben. So he's, he's he's a really fun player to watch. I really enjoy watching him play. And maybe I've gone a year or two too early, but I just think he's going to be a, a perennial all-star within the next few years. I, I could imagine him racking up six or seven all-star appearances before his career is done. And I think given his start and the fact that OKC are 8-10, and 10, which I think leading into the season, they'll probably thought that they were going to be maybe not tanking, but they'd be probably at the bottom of the West, and that hasn't been the case, and I think you can attribute that to to Gildas Alexander, so I've given him the nod there over Booker. You picked Zion. I I spoke about Zion last week in depth. What what was the reason you went for Zion?
1: i look, in the end, it was probably just more from a a fan's perspective. You know, this is a guy I want to see in this game, and and I I don't know whether we even touch it or not. It's still some debate whether there will actually be a game, but... Yep. Um, I certainly think for him to be on the big stage and, and really show what he's capable to, capable of doing from an excitement point of view, getting up and down the court, you know, in a game that really has no defence, I think from a, a fan's point of view, that was probably more the, the biggest uh, factor I had. Look, his numbers are good as well. He's averaging just under 24 points a game. That's an increase from last year. Um, and his rebound numbers have increased from six and a half up to seven and a half. So I think there's been a natural progression as well, and I think if you lined up him versus Brandon Ingram from a Pelicans point of view, where Ingram was an All Star last year, I think Williamson probably has had the better year so far. And, and not to say that the, the Pelicans, you know, automatically deserve to have a, an All Star in in the in the game. I just think Zion brings a lot to the game, brings a lot to the table from an entertainment point of view, and his numbers are there to back it up. So that's why I, I slogged him into the pretty much that 12th position.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're they're all fair points. I I spoke last week about how, how disappointing the Pelicans had been. Um, and Zion, who who yeah, look, he's he's had a he's had a really good start to the year, but it, but j- just his his defense had hadn't quite reached the levels that that we needed to. You spoke about Brandon Ingram there. You can mount a case for either one of those if you're going to give the Pelicans an, an all star berth. I'd probably slightly lean towards Brandon Ingram, but you, you could certainly debate that. Zion, Zion, as you said, is is such an exciting player to watch. We don't know if there's going to be a game. I think the NBA are trying to get one across the line just because it, it'll it certainly um, create a bit of revenue for them. But there has been some pushback on that from from some players and, and certainly media and people around the country given the state of, of the United States at the moment. So we'll see what happens there. But um, I, I understand where you're coming from, Zion, because he's such an exciting player to watch. My last spot went to CJ McCollum. Now, he's only... He's only played uh, 13 games, so he copped an injury, which was really unfortunate because he, he was having an outstanding an outstanding year, certainly a career year by his standards. He was up at uh, 26.7 points a game, which was leading the Portland at that stage. So he, he was outscoring Dame Lillard, which is no mean feat, with four rebounds and five assists, which is also a career high. So he was shooting 47%, 44% from three-point land on 11 attempts, which is an extraordinary amount of, of attempts. And, and 84% from the free throw line. So he's in, his, he's in his eighth year at the moment, CJ, and I reckon probably the last five years he, he'd stagnated um, and everyone had probably thought he'd reached the level he was going to get to. Now, it's only a small sample size. I, I realise that given he'd only played 30 games to start the year, but to jump up and come out the gates the way he did at the start of the year... As I said earlier, I picked the team for what's happened so far. I, I think he's probably not going to make it once once all said and done because I, I think he's still a while out from coming back and the 13 games won't be enough. But I, I thought he deserved a bit of a mention here because he'd had such an outstanding start to the year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that's a real credit to him and, and the way he started. His three-point shooting numbers were just off the chart to, to begin. And, and he's a guy that, you know, probably if he continued that through and, and you know, the next couple of weeks... Where he won't be playing, it's a real shame because um that he would have given himself a real opportunity and you know as we mentioned that getting a spot in this Western Conference side over the past few years, um as we said with Harden, Westbrook, even Clay Thompson in those guard spots, it really had limited the opportunities for guys like McCollum, um you know Mike Conley um, from when he was playing in Memphis and, and a few of the other really star guards in the West there to to get an opportunity. So this may have been a real chance for him. I, I probably just think the injury and you know, certainly projecting out those next couple of weeks uh, will probably uh, eventually count against him.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I do agree with that, even though I've got him in my team at the moment. It was a really difficult process. Was there anybody who didn't make uh, your final cut who you'd just like to give uh, a mention to?
1: Yeah, I've probably just got a couple of quick shout-outs. The first one's to Jay Morant uh, from the Memphis Grizzlies. And again, it's just that small sample size, just the six games that he's played. So far, he has just come back into the side. Um, So whether, look, he might really turn it on the next two weeks and and really continue his push for uh, spotting that side. So he's averaging the 22 points up up from 18 last year. And, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies, to their credit, and a lot they've done a lot of this work uh, without Moran in the side, you know, sitting in the fifth seat. So um, I thought he was one that potentially... You know, could have really given it a shake. I don't think he's going to get there just on the small sample size as we discussed. Jim, sorry, mate. And...
0: Sorry to cut you off. Just on Jar Morant, I agree with you. He, he's been outstanding when he's been on the court, as he was last year, leading a team who, who finished eighth before they went into the bubble. So they're a bit unlucky not to make the playoffs. Here's an interesting one for you. Zion and Jar Morant pick one and two in the draft um, in the same year. If you're a GM and you could have a pick of either one of those going forward, who would you go for?
1: Oh, look, that's a great question. Look, I'm probably still going to give it to Zion just at the moment. Um, I'd like to see it—you know another year of, of Zion's progression and whether he can really use his body to start dominating uh, teams in the NBA. But I think at this stage, I, I think Miranda's certainly probably shown he's got maybe a higher upside potentially. But I think I'll just stick with Zion at the moment and give him the benefit of the doubt.
0: Yeah, it, it's a really tough one. That I'd I'd probably agree with you. But Morant's been fantastic, as I said. He he got Memphis up to the eight to the eight seed before they entered the bubble last year. Certainly, no one expected that. We've seen him at where they differentiate between each other is Morant can actually have the ball at the end of the game, where I'm not sure Zion can. We have seen Morant quite a few times finish the game off and get Memphis across the line. And he's we we talk about Zion being exciting to watch, but Morant. Morant is fantastic to watch. Some of the alley-oops he throws down and he slizzes into the paint and uses the board. He, he could be just as exciting as Zion. So it's really, really close. Going into that draft, it was it was certainly uh, touted as a Zion draft, but I think Morant sort of closed the gap a little bit, albeit I think Zion's probably still got his nose in front. But credit to Morant that he's able to close that gap.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, it's, I think they'll go down, you know, if they continue this trajectory that, you know, two great selections at one and two. So... The other player I was just going to give a shout-out and it's probably more of a my own fantasy team uh, homer pick here is uh, Christian Wood, who's come from the Detroit Pistons to the Houston Rockets this year and is really um, you know, almost setting the, the league on fire, averaging 23.5 points and nearly 11 rebounds. Just the 13 games, he did miss a couple of games through the middle there, but um, the Rockets are on a five-game tear at the moment. They've, they've had the number one defence since Harden left, so his numbers are really um, jumping off the page and, I, you know, again as we discussed with SGA from Oklahoma City, it might just be a year too early. But, you know, if he can continue those type of numbers, he'll, he'll be an all-star. There's no doubt about that at some stage in his career.
0: Yeah, without doubt. The, the, the numbers Wood's put up uh, have been absolutely outstanding. Um, it's a real head-scratcher what Detroit were thinking there. I know there's reportedly reportedly some off-court issues with Christian Wood, but to, to let him walk on the money that he did and then to, to instead sign Mason Plumley to... Sim, not not quite as much money, but similar enough money is, is, is just really perplexing to me, given that uh, Christian Wood, I think he's younger than Plumley and, and certainly a, a much more impactful player. So, so, so that was really interesting there. The one player I wanted to give a shout out to, I initially did have him in my side, and then sort of did a backflip on it. it. Is Mike Conley, and and similar to you, it's probably the fact that he's in my fantasy team, and I got him at about pick sixty or seventy. So I've been really happy with his output. But but Conley w- was a was a big uh, pick up for Utah last year. They thought he might be the piece that would sort of push them up in, into the upper echelon. But it it wasn't the case. He re- he really did struggle. Uh, the, the chemistry with Rudy Gobert wasn't quite there. Um, he was used to playing with a pick-and-pop centre, given that he played with Gasol and Zach Randolph for so many years, whereas Rudy Gobert more is more a pick-and-roll. So took him a little bit of a time to adjust. In the back half of the year, he started to come good, and and that has certainly continued continued this year. So... Just wanted to give him a bit of a shout out because I thought he's he's had a really good year. He's hitting he's hitting the three point uh, at at forty one percent on on seven point one attempts a game too. So so that's certainly valuable, and, and and he's one of the main reasons that Utah have been off to such a such a good start. So we'll move over into the east now, Ben. Uh, who have you got as your starters there?
1: Okay, so i will start in the uh, front court again, and I think these three guys probably just about locked themselves in across the board here. So I've got Giannis from Milwaukee, Kevin Durant from the Brooklyn Nets, and Joel Embiid from Philly. And then in the backcourt, this is probably where the the debate will come from, I've got Bradley Beal, the league's leading scorer from the Washington Wizards, and Trey Young from the Atlanta Hawks as my starters.
0: Yep. So, yeah, we've got four of the same with Giannis, KD, Joel Embiid, and Brad Beal. I don't don't think there's any debate about Brad Beal being in there despite the fact Washington have been off to such a poor start. As, As you mentioned, he's leading the league in scoring. Um, putting up good percentages as well. So despite the fact you do like to reward the teams that are winning, Bradley Beal would, would be extremely unlucky not to be. If he's not a starter, certainly in the game, and he, he didn't make it last year, which was ridiculous, and he didn't make a, an all-NBA team as well, which is probably a bit contentious, but uh, he, he'll certainly be in there this season. Where I went different from you, I, I went for Jalen Brown over, over Trey Young, I won't get too much into Jalen Brown because we'll probably get into him next week when we do some of the awards, but I mean, he's the leading scorer on the team that's the fourth place in the East, and the, the jump he's had this year has been absolutely outstanding. He, he's an elite defender on the wing, which is what every team is after, and I think he he, he certainly deserves this. And for this to... He's never made an an, an all-star game, and for, for him to be in contention to be a starter in his first all-star game is absolutely fantastic. With Trey Young, he... He's had a he's had an interesting season and we're gonna talk about Atlanta a bit a bit later. But yeah, he's had an interesting season, but but certainly an all-star worthy season. What was the main reason you went for Trey Young as a starter?
1: Yeah, well I've picked him again. Look, he was the um he was in the starting five last year, and I, I look at the improvement that have had. This is currently the sixth seed in the East, albeit you know, they have had some some added help into their roster this year, but his numbers are terrific still. Twenty-seven points a game, that's ranked ninth in the league. His assist numbers are at eight point six, which is ranked fourth in the league. And the the stat that I was really impressed seeing from him this year is he's leading the league in free throw attempts. So he's he's, he's showing a bit more to his game than rather than just uh, pulling up from three and and trying to you know get a lot of his buckets from deep. He's you know really penetrating into the lane this year and, and and you know taking some contact and to be yeah leading the league you know albeit early in the season for free throw attempts. I think shows a real added versatility to his game and and as I said the other when I mentioned earlier in the podcast around the fan voting, he's a guy that's got a really large following. So I put all that together and I, I, I kind of think that he'll land one of those uh, five spots in the starting lineup.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt he's one of the most popular players. He's, he's in that Steph mould, isn't he, with the, with the step-back threes and, and the long threes that he likes to hit. And every young kid likes to get out in the driveway and pretend they're Steph or Trey Young or Dame Lillard and, and try and shoot it from out on the street. So there's no doubt that he's going to be a popular player in the fan voting. Who have you got as your reserves for the East?
1: Yeah, so I've obviously got Jalen Brown and look, there was certainly no knock on Jalen to not be a starter. I, I probably uh docked him a point or two because I probably thought um had Jason Tatum not got injured earlier in the season, he may have been the one that out of that out of that young Boston call to actually get the starting to maybe get a starting nod, um albeit, you know, he's probably more in, in, in a forward position. But I just think Tatum was probably tracking slightly ahead of Brown uh, when he did go down, and, and even today when you you, know, you can see they're both playing together against the Lakers and you know 30 points versus 28. So I mean it's it's, it's really close between the two of them. They've both um, you know improved their games you know pretty much consistently year on year, and it's pretty exciting uh, for the Celtics going forward. So I've obviously got Brown and Tatum in there. I've got Sabonis from Indiana. I think his season's been outstanding, and the last four spots are probably the ones I, I struggled a little bit for, and I could. Probably mounted case for any of these four not to be there, but I've ended up landing on uh, Julius Randle from the Knicks. I've got Chris Middleton from the Bucks. I've included Ben Simmons from the 76ers, and I've given the last spot reluctantly to James Harden from the Brooklyn Nets.
0: Okay, yeah, it, it is very interesting that those last few spots uh, certainly could have gone either way. I've gone for Trey Young. Obviously, you had him as a starter. I've got him on the bench. There's no doubt about that. Jason Tatum, as you mentioned, has been fantastic when he's been on been on the court. Uh, j- just missed a few games there, so that that sort of that was the reason I sort of leaned for Jalen ahead of him. Uh, Chris Middleton, I think, has been fantastic. So so there's no doubt about, no doubt about him uh, being an all star. Demontis Sabonis also from Indiana has had a, a fantastic start to the season, so he certainly deserved to be a back to back all star. And those last three spots were were the contentious ones for me. So I, I went with Zach Levine from Chicago, Bam Adebayo from Miami. And uh, Nick Vucevic from Orlando, which again might raise some eyebrows. So Julius Randle has obviously never been an All Star, and New York have have actually had a pretty good start to the season. What what was the reason you thought uh, Randle deserved a deserved a spot?
1: Well, I think it was the, the fact that the Knicks have had a good start to the season. You know they've been pretty much a laughing stock uh, for a number of years. I'm not sure my younger brother Patrick would enjoy me me saying that, but at least this year they <laughs> under Tom Thibodeau uh, they've shown a bit more heart and a bit more. Uh, bit more toughness and they're sitting just outside uh the top eight in the east at the moment. And look, Randall's numbers are, are, are great, you know, averaging the twenty-two points a game, eleven rebounds and six assists. So he's uh and that's a, a almost double his best ever effort um in the assist category. Yeah, so that, that's though. a big
0: one for me with him. His assist tally's jumped up so much. I don't think anybody saw that coming. He was sort of thought as a as a bit of a black hole through it throughout the start of his career. So to put up six assists is certainly a feather in his cup.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, look, I think, you know, he's certainly mounted a really strong case for himself. I mean, he, he has scored in the 20s previously when he was at the uh, New Orleans Pelicans, but this year it just seems to be a bit more all, uh, all-rounded all game, and and I think, you know, with the Knicks having a, a respectable record, um, I've given given that nod to Julius. That, that's fair
0: enough. I, I certainly
1: strongly considered him as well.
0: I did go for Bam out of bio. Maybe it's Miami, bias coming through, but... Uh, I think Bam, despite the fact Miami have had a disappointing start to the year, they're now at 7-2 and two after a win today. Uh, finally, Jimmy Butler is back on the court, so maybe they might be able to start to string some wins together. But but Bam's been absolutely fantastic. He's, he's 20 points a game, 9 rebounds and 5.6 assists. So their career highs in the points and assist categories, um, shooting at 58% from the field, 40% from three, and 86% from, from the free throw line. So j- just outstanding numbers for a big... But I think the biggest progression for Bam has been his his shooting from uh, from the mid range. I mean, it's a bit of a, a dirty word, the mid range. But uh, Bam Adebayo's improvement in that area has been absolutely outstanding, and he, he's become more of an option on offense. He was more probably, you know, a, a, a pick and roll thread, and you can sort of throw it into him around the basket, and he, and he would do do his damage there. But now he he's more than capable of of, of receiving a pass at the elbow and, and hitting a shot there. And you can run the offense through him at the five and a half assists would suggest. So, and he's obviously an elite defender. So I think despite the fact that Miami have certainly been disappointing this year, Bam Bam was an all-star last year and I can't see any reason why you would leave him out this year. So that's my case for Bam. Zach Levine for me, you mentioned him earlier. Uh, Chicago was seven and 11 after that, that heartbreaker of a loss today. They've had a couple of those, those losses this year, which could have gone either way. So that record could certainly be a bit better, but you, you just look at his numbers, and I know numbers aren't the be-all and end-all, but he's at 27 points, which is ninth in the league, five rebounds, five assists, all career highs across the board there, shooting 50, 40, and 87, which is which is outstanding numbers there. So I think he probably deserves it there. Um, he, he was he was the last selection for me, well, probably the second last selection, but you mentioned that the East was really tight, tight towards the end there, and I just think the way he started the year, he's probably not quite a number one option on a championship contender. Chicago probably don't have that. Their rookie, Patrick Williams, looks really promising. We're not sure how good he's going to be, obviously, in a few years' time. So they, they probably need to add somebody around Zach Levine um, if they really want to push up and be a contender in, the, contender in the East. But I think given the start that Zach Levine's had, he, he's worthy of an all-star spot.
1: Yeah, I just I look at Levine and, and you know, the, the scoring has been there and, and you know, it has increases slightly this year, and the improvement has certainly come in his shooting percentages. The issue for me with the Levina's, and you, you mentioned the a number of um, close finishes they've had, he just hasn't been able to really close out any of these close games. They lost four games in a row on the Western Conference road trip by a combined 11 points, and then and then they've obviously lost today um, on the buzzer as well. So he just hasn't been able to close out um, any of these big games, and as you mentioned, you know currently the Bulls' number one option on offence he really needs to you know, help put some of these games away for the Chicago team. The other problem I've got with him is the turnovers. Now he's currently the second in the league in turnovers and he's not even a point guard essentially. So he doesn't have the ball in his hand as much as probably Kobe White or a few of their other playmakers, but to be second in the league in turnovers is a concern. His assist to turnover ratio is 1.19. I heard somewhere that he'd had 90 assists for the year and 70 turnovers. So, that's um, a pretty startling number uh, for a guy that you you know you're looking to create the offense. He was the first Bulls player with at least six turnovers in three straight games uh, since 2004. Alton Brand. So that's just going she, to show apparently <laughs> at the moment where he is sitting. You know, just from the turnover point of view. So that's where I I probably knocked in. Just the inability to really influence winning uh, towards the end of the game and the turnover numbers. But you know, credit to Zach. Uh, for his scoring and and the really sharp improvement with the uh, field goal percentages um, across the board.
0: Yeah, no, no doubt those turnover numbers uh, certainly need to come down, and and, that, and that's a valid point there. You, you can't you can't play winning basketball if you're turning the the basketball over uh, that often. That last spot you went for James Harden. Mount your case on him.
1: Well, the guys, you know, an MVP. You know, he's a, he he beat, would have finished in the top Air five case. of the MVP the last. So. Five years, and you know, albeit this year's been an absolute shit show uh, from the start when he didn't turn up to training camp and essentially forced his way out of Houston uh, to the Nets. But I, you know, this guy's uh, an elite player of the com- of the competition. He, he could score 35 points whenever he wants on any given night. He's an all star. Um, his numbers are, are still, you know, still strong since he's been to Brooklyn. And I, I just couldn't see a world where James Harden isn't isn't an all star. So essentially, that's where it came down to. And I, and I mentioned when I. When I read the list out, you know, reluctantly, you hate to reward guys that have um, basically behaved, you know, in the fashion that he has this year, and it's probably a, a reason why uh, we haven't mentioned Kyrie Irving yet as a as a potential East All Star, just because of the petulance and the and the, the not turning up, and and you know, it, it's certainly got a uh, grind on the coaches or whoever is going to be selecting those reserves to to put players like that into the team. But I just can't see how how in any planet James Harden isn't an Eastern Conference All Star.
0: Yeah, look, I I did say that I that I'm I'm picking the team based on what's happened now, and that is the main reason. I think once all when all is said and done, he'll be there. But I just I just couldn't reward him. I couldn't bring myself to do it. If you if you if you turn up to camp looking like a contestant from The Biggest Loser, and, and you basically uh, throw a grenade on the team season in Houston there, and we've seen since he's left, you mentioned the fact that they're the number one defense um, in the NBA since since he's left. So he, he was basically sleepwalking um, through the season in Houston. To, to force the trade, he forced the trade, and and look, he he's playing good good enough basketball to be an all star at uh, Brooklyn. But I'm just going to dock him from the fact that uh, that, that he torpedoed uh, Houston's season at the start of the year. Um, as I as I said, I'm expecting when all's said and done that he that he is an all star. But I, I just couldn't bring myself to put him in there, and I went with Nick Vucevic, which I said would raise a few eyebrows. But again, you, you look at his numbers: Orlando are eight and twelve. So they're they're not setting the world on fire, but they're they're in that sort of that pack of teams in the East there, there's a n- number of teams around the same record as them. So, you know, they're a playoff chance, uh, certainly. He's putting up 23 points a game, which is a career high, uh, 10.7 rebounds and three and a half assists, shooting 48% from the field, 44% from three on 6.1 attempts for a centre. He's actually taken and made the most uh, catch-and-shoot threes in the in the competition and shoots those at the second-best percentage, which I thought for a centre was absolutely outstanding what, what you want from your center is to be able to stretch the floor. Ideally, you want him to be able to protect the rim as well, which Vucevic doesn't do a fantastic job of. But given he, he's been so good offensively, shooting 82% from the free throw line at a 24% PER, I, I think his offensive numbers have been good enough. He was an all-star back in 2018-19, so he's made it before. Um, I think he, he deserves to be rewarded for his season so far.
1: No, fair enough. And you know, as we said, we could probably throw a blanket over about ten guys, you know, to fill out those those back end spots. So, as you mentioned, the the, the stats are there, and his starts year has been fantastic. So, yeah, you know, good to hear that he's been getting some support from yourself.
0: Was there anybody anybody who you left out who you, who you want to give a shout out to?
1: Um, look, the guy that I probably would like to to give a shout out to is Colin Sexton from Cleveland. I think that's been a really feel good feel good story throughout the season is the the rise of the Cleveland Cavaliers and. Whether it's a sustainable rise or not, is certainly there to be seen. But currently the seventh seed in the in the East, I don't think anyone would have penciled them in even to, you know, to get out of the bottom couple of teams in the East. So for them to be sitting there at nine and ten at the moment, and I think a lot of that is on the back of, of Colin's work. So averaging the twenty four and a half points a game, it's a sharp increase from the twenty that he put up um that he put up last year. So I think, you know, that's been a really Good story. Um, Yes, he's getting a lot of support from Andre Drummond. You know, Jared Allen's come into that side as well and and helped them. But I I think Colin Sexton's certainly worthy of a a shout-out in this forum.
0: Yeah, no doubt he's had a fantastic start to the season, part of probably the best nickname in the NBA, in the NBA with uh, Darius Garland with a Land nickname. A really interesting uh, interview with him on the Zach Lowe podcast, if you, if you want to download that and listen to that. He's been really good. I'd, I don't think anybody expected the rise he's had, but uh, if you listen to that interview, you'd probably get a, a bit of an idea as to why he's taken that jump. For me, I wanted to shout out Gordon Haywood. He was signed to a four-year, $120 million contract by Charlotte, which was was pretty much heavily derided by everybody. Charlotte also stretched and waived Nicholas's Batum's $27 million contract over three years, which essentially means that it's costing them $37 million a year to get Gordon Haywood, who is 30 years old, so everybody thought his best basketball was behind him. But uh, he's come back strong this year. He's at a career high, just under a shade under 23 points a game. With, with five rebounds and, and three assists, three and a half assists. So shooting fifty fifty percent from the field and forty percent from the from three point line. So I just wanted to uh, give him a shout out because I think he's been fantastic. I'm, I'm sure he he heard all the noise about that his his career was that, that he was on the back end of his career. Hit a game winner against Orlando a few games back where he took Evan Fournier off the dribble and looked like he had that speed back. He he. He probably looked like he was struggling a bit the last few years in Boston. He actually had a pretty good start to the year last year and then and then got a hand injury and and then really struggled once once he played in the bubble but he'd, he'd had a long layoff so that was to be expected. But I I think maybe only Charlotte probably expected him to come back this strongly and and I'm sure that they've been really uh really happy with the way he's played this year.
1: No, absolutely fair enough and and it, that's it been a really strong return and you know it was, it was a, a real shame we never got to see the best of him. At Boston, and it was, you know, a bit of a disaster the whole time he was there. But um it no, has been a really strong rebound, and and certainly a, a case can be made. And they're they're playing pretty good basketball at the moment, the Charlotte Hornets. And if that continues, as you said, over the next couple of weeks, you know, there, there could be a real case case for Gordon.
0: No doubt. So we'll leave the the All Star talk there. Uh, what we're going to do is jump into a segment we're going to call the NBA stock market. So so we'll have a couple of statements, and we're going to. We're going to say whether we want to buy, sell, or hold on that statement. So we're going to start off with this. the first statement is going to be Atlanta are a legit East playoff team. Ben, are you going to buy, sell, or hold on that statement?
1: Um, I'm going to buy that statement. I think they're a legitimate top six side now in the East. I think that they're sitting there currently 10 and 9, and I can't see a a reason for me personally uh, to suggest that they'll fall out of that. The teams that are sitting there behind them, Cleveland, Charlotte, New York, Orlando, Chicago, Um, Toronto I don't think any of those necessarily uh, have got the upside to really go past them it might be Miami that you know come come with a run later on so I think they're legitimately potentially a six seed certainly a seven or eight seed so I think it's been a really um, steady progression for Atlanta I like what they've done in building this roster you you think back to when they did draft Trey Young in that trade where they basically gave up the rights to Luka Doncic and 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 the the that they've taken um as a result of that. If Trey, as I've suggested, is going to be a, a, a second time all star starter, then that's certainly nothing to be to be sneezed at, albeit you know, we think Luka Doncic is a um a generational player all the same. But Trey's starting to affect winning. There was a concern whether it was just gonna be another one of these high stats bad team guys. But I think the the roster that um Atlanta is slowly building to building out is um is sustainable. They've uh, what they did in the off-season, bringing some real uh, veteran help with Danilo Gallinari and Bogdan Bogdanovic, Rajon Rondo into the side and certainly um, balanced them out. And then just the um, improvement that we're seeing out of DeAndre Hunter this year in particular, Cam Redditch is, is improving as they go. John Collins potentially has been the guy that's flattened out a little bit, but, you know, still playing a, a serviceable role and and the the guy that's really standing up for them from a statistical point of view and, and really anchoring the defense is Clint Capella. So he's coming in averaging thirteen point seven points and fourteen point five rebounds, and really taking the taking the heat out of um, John Collins having to play the five uh, for longer stretches. So I think what they've got is um, is real, and, and and can certainly maintain that position in the East. One thing when you're looking at at the roster and you're you're, you're running your eye down it, they've currently got six guys averaging. Over the 10 points, that's Young, Hunter, Collins, Herder, Capella and Reddish. And then two other guys averaging 9.9 points in Gallinari and Bogdanovich. Now, Galinari's only played the seven games and Bogdanovich only the nine. So there's really an upside there and improvement. They could have eight guys averaging over 10 points a game. So that's really uh, sharing that load. Um, Trey Young doesn't have to go off for 40 points every game. And albeit he did that today. But I just think there's a real, um, real balance around the roster. There's a real purpose in the way that they're playing. And the numbers overall, the kind of backing that up, they're ninth in offense and eleventh in defense. So for me, um, I'm buying the fact that they're a legitimate East playoff team.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. I'm also buying that. The main thing for me, you mentioned there that it was it was probably thought that Atlanta would make a jump this year based on the fact of they added uh, Danilo Gallinari and Bogdanovich. And those guys have have hardly been cited. Gallo's only played the seven games, and Bogdanovich the nine, as you mentioned there. So, the fact that they've been able to improve so much, getting so little from those guys, as you mentioned, I think that their upside is very high. Once once Gallo gets back into form, we know we know he can be really dangerous offensively, and Bogdanovich can be a another ball handler that can take some of that heat off Trey Young. I mentioned uh, earlier when I spoke about Trey Young that he'd had he'd had a bit of an interesting season. He started the year absolutely on fire. Um, and was getting to the free throw line you mentioned he leads the league in free throw assists early on in the season especially he was really getting there and then they played uh the nets and and, and steve nash the coach of the nets sort of mentioned that it wasn't basketball the way that he was playing and he struggled to get to the line the next couple of games i think that might have got into his head and then there were there were the reports in the media that john collins had 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 a bit of a go at him in one of the film sessions and said that uh he wasn't passing the ball enough and and, and nobody else was getting enough shots and he went into a bit of a funk there for a, for a few games, and Atlanta's record also started to tumble a bit. But he's got right back on track the last sort of six games, and is back to the player that we know and love, and and he's an outstanding offensive player. We know that, and and you mentioned there that they ranked eleventh in defense. I think they were in the bottom two or three last year. So so to improve that much defensively is a real feather in their cap, and and yeah, I totally agree. Clint Capella has been one of the main reasons for that. Not only his rebounding, he's been on an absolute tear of late. On the glass but also averaging 2.3 blocks a game so he's really stiffened him up in the paint you mentioned there the fact that John Collins his numbers might be down a little bit but he's he's probably playing a bit of a more of a different role this year he played the five a lot last year but now he's playing the four um and, and Capella might be taking a couple of his shots and John Collins didn't sign an extension and, and he's and he's probably trying to play himself in, in he wants a max contract He stated that in, in the press so he's probably trying to play his way into that and his numbers would suggest he's probably not a max player, but it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. DeAndre Hunter, the one for me, you sort of mentioned him, but he's the one for me that's taken the big step up. Travis Schlenk, the GM, uh, copped a bit of heat when when he drafted DeAndre Hunter because he gave up a couple of picks to move up in the draft that ultimately ultimately became uh, Alexander Walker and Jackson Hayes. He gave those picks up to the, to the Pelicans to select Hunter because he was trying to build what they needed. They already had Trey Young, uh, Herder and John Collins, so they were looking for for a wing-type player. When he drafted DeAndre Hunter, a, f- a few of the draft experts, I'm not going to pretend I'm on one of those, but a few of the draft draft experts did say that maybe he was reaching I and mean, that Hunter might have been available at the selections he already had, but he was confident enough to to move up and take him. Now, he didn't set the, the world on fire uh, in his rookie season, but he's taken a massive jump this year, up to the 17 points a game and, and five and a half rebounds, shooting 51%. From the field, thirty six from from three and eighty seven from the from the free throw line. So, and, he, and he's a really good uh, wing defender as well. So he's exactly what every team is looking for: a young wing defender who can also contribute on the on the scoreboard as well. So, all credit to Travis Schlenk for, for having the for having the courage to to part with those picks to move up and get the player that he wanted. Uh, and and it certainly panned out for him.
1: Yeah, and no, I'm not sure that they're finished um, making moves either. They own all of their first round picks going in for the next three or four years. Uh, you know, obviously these high, high talented young players. So you know, you just wonder if you know, if a Bradley Beal opportunity may present itself, they might just have the the draft, the draft assets and the young talent um, that you know could could be an attractive proposition to a, a team like Washington or a, you know, that, or any other disgruntled stars that, that make their way. You know, so they've put themselves into a position from a cap point of view, a draft asset point of view, and also the fact that they've got um, some really attractive young young players on this roster.
0: Yeah, no doubt. They're in a very strong position going forward, as you said. You mentioned there with the draft picks they have available and they could have some of those young players that could allow them to get into one of those blockbuster trades. So a really exciting and bright future for the Atlanta Hawks. So the second statement we'll play the NBA stock market with is, Philly are the team to beat in the East. Are you buy, selling, or holding that statement, Ben?
1: I will be holding that statement. Um, I certainly... I was probably erring more to the sell... Uh, point of view only in in respect to what we've seen from Philadelphia in previous years but I'll give them the benefit of the doubt you know with a new coach new executive and um, obviously a new roster this year to wait and see what these guys are going to do at the pointy end of the season obviously it's a really encouraging start to be sitting uh, atop the Eastern Conference at 14 and 6 but for me the concern is is probably centered around Ben Simmons and I you know it's a bit of a contradiction considering I I named him as one of my all-stars but I just still question him as the you know the second banana in this team, and it's almost to the point where Tobias Harris is almost probably being viewed in, in that light, um, in front of Ben at the moment. His his playmaking, his rebounding, his you know ability to defend is all at a high level. But just watching the game that they played against the Lakers uh, the other day, which they hung on to and won with a Tobias Harris um, jump shot at the end. You know, it really is going to come down to whether Ben Simmons has got the propensity to to take some shots down the stretch. He he just hasn't been willing to to contribute from a shot making point of view in their offense. You know, he, he can start the game and he comes up, runs the floor, and, and gets on the end of some easy baskets. But when when the when push comes to shove, we really want to see Ben Simmons being able to um, you know take a take an important shot and uh, really nearly nearly crucified them the other day when on a couple of possessions he was just just refused to put himself in that position to, to take an open shot and put an enormous amount of pressure on his teammates. And in the end, Harris bailed them out. But so for me, I still want to see it in the playoffs against the Bucks and the Nets and the Celtics. I'm probably still not convinced that the depth in, on this team is good enough. They're obviously excited with what they've seen with Tyrese Maxey coming off the bench. Thievels, you know, plays good defense, but it's pretty much a, a zero on offense. Dwight Howard is, you know, a serviceable backup to Embiid, but you know, if Embiid gets any injury for a sustained period of time, I'll be going to be confident that Dwight can really step up and, and man the middle for any decent amount of time or or in the playoffs? Seth Curry and Danny Green as the other starters in the backcourt, um, from a shooting point of view, um, are, are playing well, playing their role perfectly. How I'm sure Daryl Morey envisaged it, but you know, Seth Curry can go cold anytime. Danny Green has has had his troubles in the past as well. So am I banking on these guys? Just continuing to play at a higher level, game in game out, particularly over seven game series against some of these elite teams in the East. So I'm just going to um, hold my chips to myself and um, and just want to see that play out for the time being.
0: Yeah, just on Ben Simmons, and we don't like to take pot shots at fellow Aussies. We like to support him as much as we can. But uh, j- just on him, you-, you watch him play, and you look at the numbers and across the board, he's pretty much the identical player he was to the to the moment he entered the league. You watch him play, and you can't really pinpoint pinpoint an area that he that he's improved upon since he entered the league. He's probably got better as a defender, so he's certainly an elite defender. But offensively, there's not one aspect of his game where I think, yep, he's much better now than he was the minute he walked in the league. And he and he speaks about wanting to be, you know, an all time great and one of the best players in the leagues. But if you look at, you know, all the other top players in the league, uh, Giannis gets better every single year. Luca made a, a massive jump from year one to two. LeBron in year 18 is, is shooting a career high from, from the three-point land. So he gets better every year. James Harden has got better every year. Steph Curry got better and became a two-time All-Star when nobody expected that. So all the great players in the league get better every single season, and Ben Simmons has yet to demonstrate that. We, we see... The videos he puts out in the preseason of um, of him, you know, hit, hitting outside jumpers and three pointers against guys who are as good as us at basketball, and then he gets out on the floor in an NBA game and, and and you said there he, he looks almost scared to to fail, which if you want to be an all time great you can't be scared to fail. Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and these guys embraced the moment, they weren't scared to fail. and If they missed a shot, they went back in and they 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 didn't really care about it. But Ben Simmons looks almost uh, afraid to fail. Do you think he's ever going to take that next step to become an absolute elite player in the league or do you just don't think he has that desire to do it?
1: Um, look, I'm certainly not a body language expert, but I, I do take uh, quite good notice of you know, of the body language of some of these players. And Ben Simmons, for me, I, I just don't enjoy his body language. He's, he's stony-faced. He doesn't show any expression. You wonder if he's happy or if he's energized or if he's he enthusiastic. Does he enjoy playing? Does he not enjoy playing? He, he doesn't give a, a lot away from a, a facial expression point of view, which drives me mad when I watch him play. I'd have to give Bill it, Simmons it,
0: a call. He's a, body, <laughs> he's a body language expert.
1: And Look, look for me, I, I don't see it happening because of, of the shooting. He's just re- refusing to, to take open shots. And until he does that, then we certainly can't put him in that conversation. And, and you know, to put his teammates under that, uh, probably undue pressure or unnecessary pressure at times. When he, you know if he could take that, take that shot and make the defense come up on him, um, but you know that's going to open up more opportunities for him. and Harris and more open threes for Curry and Green. So, look, I yeah. So just to, to follow or just to come right around and sum that up, you know, if Simmons can find that in this season, then absolutely they're going to be there when the whips are cracking, and they still might they might be anyway, But. But probably not because of Simmons. It's because of the form of Joel Embiid and the the absolutely incredible season he's having. And if he stays fit and motivated, then you know they're going to be there towards the end because he's almost an unstoppable force at the moment. He's one guy that can. Um, when you look at the Lakers in on, in the West, and if that is the matchup in the finals, then you know Embiid's going to be pretty confident going head to head against Anthony Davis across those best of seven games because he has the size. He he's not scared to shoot, and he'll just keep keep going hard and, and, and taking his chances, providing you know his, his fitness levels are up to a, up to the standard that they need to be. So, look, for me, it's, it's all around Simmons. Does he improve? Do they trade him? Um, how does it all shake out? But I'll, I'll just want to wait and see how, how this roster, as it's currently assembled, performs in the playoffs before I anoint them the, the team to beat in the East.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's, it's boring that we keep agreeing, but I'm, I'm going to hold as well. You mentioned Embiid there. He, he's been fantastic to the start the year. Um, we'll talk about him probably next week as well when we do talk about the awards. But a career high in career high in points, uh, leads a league in par at thirty one point four, which is an all time number. His on off numbers are astounding. There there are plus eleven point nine with him on the court and a minus ten point two with him off the court. So when you've got such a heavy a heavy reliance on one on one player who does have a bit of a an injury history, and there's always a bit of trepidation uh, sort of pushing your chips in for a team like that. So you mentioned Daryl Morey made some changes in the offseason. He, he's done a fantastic job in adding Seth Curry and, and Danny Green because it was certainly clogged up last year with Al Horford in the middle there. So to add those two uh, creates a bit of space, and I think that has certainly helped jo- Joel Embiid uh, have the season he, that he is having so far. But can you rely on on Seth Curry uh, in the playoffs? Danny Green, as you said, can be really hit, hit and miss. He can go on a on a really bad cold streak, as he did at times last year for the Lakers. Shake Milton. I'm not sure if you mentioned him or not, but he's come off the bench this year and has been really good in that six man role, in that six man role, uh, averaging fourteen points a game. So he's been really good for him. You mentioned the the Lakers game the other day and the fact that Tobias Harris was the one taking the game winning shot. Now he made it, and and I'm not sure. Maybe the reason they went to Tobias Harris is because they thought that the matchup he had on Alex Caruso was better than going to Joel Embiid against Anthony Davis, who's a who's an elite defender. So maybe that was the case, but. I'm not sure you want to be hanging your hat on a team that that is giving the ball to Tobias Harris to take the last second shot if they if they're looking to be a championship team. Nothing against Tobias Harris, and um, you mentioned that there was a, probably a toss up if Philly are going to have two all stars. I'd probably have Tobias just ahead of Ben Simmons so far, but he, he's not at that elite level, and I'm not sure you want to really be banking on him hitting a game winning shot for you.
1: No, fair enough, and look, I, 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 they've done a great job to, to position themselves and and really. Man yeah, taste to be the number one side in the East and they're currently sitting in that position. But I think there's the history suggests with Baden Simmons and the Sixers uh, in the playoffs that we just want to want to see a bit more of it. Yep, no doubt.
0: Uh, so we'll close the show off now with uh, with a segment we're going to call Aussie of the Week. So we, we as I said, we we gave Ben Simmons a bit of a, a bit of a kick there, but we generally like to pump up the Aussies who are in the NBA because they're doing a fantastic job for us. We've got a number in there that are that are playing some really good basketball. But we thought it uh, appropriate this week to give the Aussie of the week to Joe Ingles. For those who don't know, yesterday when uh, Joe Ingles hit his second three pointer of the game against Dallas, it, uh, he overtook John Stockton to be the all time leader in three point makes in Utah Jazz history. Which I thought was astounding, given the backstory for for Joe Ingles, who who went over to to a tryout for the for the Clippers, uh, was one of the last cuts. Was was about to jump on a plane and get home, uh, come back home to Australia. Got the call from Utah, went over there, tried out there, obviously made the the team in the end. And to be able to to stick there since then and to to, to be able to come the, the leading uh, three-point shooter in, in franchise history, understanding that obviously there's a lot more 3 pointers shot now than there was in the past, to, but to be able to overtake someone like an all-time great like John Stockton, obviously a member of the, the dream team and the all-time leader in assists and maybe even steals, um, is a fantastic achievement.
1: Absolutely, and it's just so exciting to see um, his continued excellence in the NBA. Because you know he's a guy that when you look at, it, you just wonder how in the hell he can he, he sustains it. You know, just from an athleticism point of view, and even had some real uh, criticisms of Joe in the World uh, World Cup of Basketball the year before last, where you know down the crunch um, in some of those games, he, he was the one that probably started not looking for his shot, and he really was there to provide that three point shooting. And he, I, I really yeah, felt he was, he, refu- he was
0: refusing to shoot it, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, which was which was disappointing, but you know he's come back this season for Utah and um, in playing a, a number of different roles depending on their lineups. He he basically was coming off the bench for so the majority of of this year. He's only just come into the starting lineup the last couple of games with the Donovan Mitchell injury. And and that's the that's the the great great trait about Joe Ingles is just his ability to sort of fit into whatever the coach wants into whatever role that's going to be. So he's flexible. Um, he's a great team man. Obviously they love having him in Utah. And and his his season this year so far has, has been outstanding again, and he's he's shooting the three ball at a really good clip again this year in the NBA, and and um, this week in particular he he's gone off again. He had a, a seven, seven three point game the other night um, against the Dulles Mavericks, shooting twenty one points off seven from eleven from three point land. So that's just absolutely outstanding. The as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, the the Jazz are just on a incredible winning streak at the moment. They're they're now um, up to eleven games in a row and sitting on top of the Western Conference and Joe Ingles has got um, a hell of a lot to do with that. He is so durable. He's only it's only this year where he's actually had to sit a couple of games with, with an injury issue and uh, prior to that his his record of, of turning up playing day in day out is just was basically unmatched across the NBA. So absolutely well deserved to be our Aussie of the week. Um, a couple of his matches that are worth mentioning. Obviously we mentioned the twenty one point game against Dallas two games back with the seven three pointers. He had thirteen points against the Golden State Warriors um, in a big, big win against them, three or four games back, and then just again yesterday in the the second of the back to back with Dallas, another ten points from you know shooting fifty fifty seven percent from the field again. So yeah, the role he's playing, the way Utah are playing, and you know just for to get that reward of being the number one three point shooter of all time, he's an absolute credit to to Joe, and and he's a great representative of Australian basketball um, much broader. No doubt, and a worthy winner of our
0: first Aussie of the week, Ben. So uh, we'll we'll try and keep that uh, segment going. So we'll call the show there. I didn't mention at the start, uh, you can get in contact with either myself and Ben on Twitter. I'm at 82winnow, and Ben is at bencad1. So if you've got any comments or feedback or any questions or anything, you can uh, contact us there. As I said at the start of the show, we appreciate all the support we've got. Uh, Please continue to support the podcast and share it with your friends and download and click and give us a five-star review on, on iTunes. That would be absolutely fantastic. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.